you would, let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come before you, to open your word. I pray that you would meet us all where we're at with all of our questions and all of our hurts, all of our uncertainties. Let us bring them before you and lay them down. Uh, you are the God that we worship. You are the God that we are desperate for. And I, I thank you that you speak to us. And I pray that you'd open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning's message was a little bit of a journey. This week I was working on Ephesians 5 some more and getting ready for that sermon. But I talked to my wife, Carolyn, and I said, I'm feeling a little bit torn because Wednesday night we had an awesome online meeting with our missional community, our small group on Zoom. And we talked about a, a question. How can you believe in an all-powerful and good God in the face of all the suffering and evil in the world? We've been going through a book called Know Why You Believe by Paul Little. And the discussion was just so timely. I, I told Carolyn, I wonder if that's a topic I should pause Ephesians for this week and just talk to the people about because it it hit my heart and it hit the hearts of some of those in that group and I asked her what she thought and she said pray about it God will lead you what else would I expect from a praying wife so I prayed about it and long story short that's where we're heading this week I took that theme and dove into God's word some more pulled in some other resources and I want to talk to you about that because it may be a question that you're wrestling with today. I want to strengthen your faith. Or if you don't have faith in Jesus, maybe this will help draw you to him. Or maybe your faith is, is unshaken by all that's going on in the world and in your life. But you say, man, I'd sure like to be prepared to know how to answer that better when someone asks me to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that I have. And, and that's where we're going to head today. It's, it's encouraged me preparing and I hope it encourages you and, and strengthens you uh, during these uncertain times out there but I want to start where we always have to start with the truth of God's word God's word boldly and without apology declares certain things about our God two of those things are one one that he is omnipotent he is all powerful Psalm 147.5 reflects that. It says, great is our Lord and abundant in power. That's our God. He's also good. That's proclaimed over and over and over in the book of Psalms and elsewhere. One example, Psalm 106.1. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. That's what the Bible declares. That's what we believe. But there's a world that looks around, and maybe it pricks into our hearts sometimes and asks that question. How can God be all-powerful and good with all this evil and suffering that's going on? And sometimes the argument goes like this. Either God is all-powerful, but he doesn't stop evil and suffering, so he's not good, or... God is good, but evil continues, so he's not all-powerful. And I refuse to believe in a God like that. Before we go on to talk about that conversation, we got to admit one thing. 
if, if you're wrestling with that or if someone brings that to you, we've got to agree that there is a lot of suffering in this world. Job 5, 7, Job said it like this, man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. That's pretty sure because every time I sit by the fire in our backyard, the sparks fly upward. Just as sure as that's going to happen, we're going to suffer on this planet. So, so how can we believe with COVID-19 and all the health repercussions of that or maybe the economic pressure some of you are feeling or the stress or the uncertainty of when are things going to open up again? Or maybe it's other suffering that's less worldwide and more personal to you. Last week, I spoke on the phone to, to a friend of our churches. Her husband died recently of cancer. And as if that wasn't enough, as she's grieving through that, she, she tripped over the cat at her house and, and broke her hip and, and had to go in for a hip replacement. And as I talked to her on the phone, I could hear the very heavy and real discouragement. Sometimes you get to a moment like that and you wonder, how can I keep putting one foot in front of the other? Many of you know about the mayor of Prescott, a strong believer in Jesus who, whose daughter recently passed away. My, my friend Ken, who works at Costco, said he was at the house that night and, and he told me, he said, I didn't know what to say. I just gave him a hug. And I, I told him, I said, sometimes that's the best thing, especially at that pinnacle of the grief, a, a hug, your silent presence, your listening. That is not necessarily a time to, to talk. But as we engage with the world, it's also important to remember that there is a moment when, when someone comes and asks a question, whether it's on Facebook or on the phone or hopefully one of these days again across the table from us at dinner, there is a time to discuss this objectively. And it's really important that we discern which moment we're in. Is this a time for a hug and to listen? Or is this a time to speak truth or, or both? But I'll say this. Even when we talk about this, it's really important that we talk with humility that admits openly, I do not have all the answers. That's okay. Pastor Paul took us several weeks ago over and over to a verse in Deuteronomy 29. 29 that says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are some things that are secret. It's okay to admit that. But that verse goes on to say, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So there are secrets, but there are also some revealed truths about this subject in God's word. And that's what we want to look at today. And why are we looking at them? I don't want you to believe the lie that when someone asks you that question or throws that objection about God to you that you have to just tuck your head down and, and walk away. I want to give you seven things that you can hold on to and, and share in a moment like that when the time is right. So if you're ready, jump in with me. The first thing we need to reckon with when it comes to suffering in this world is the high price of human choice the cost of human choice and love Romans 5:12 places the blame of the suffering in this world squarely at the feet of humans it says therefore just as sin entered the world through one man Adam 
and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. As J.B. Phillips put it, it is man's responsibility, not God's. Human choices and actions have real consequences. Now, many over the centuries have said, well, couldn't have God have made us so we would automatically obey? Then there would be no love. No love. And I asked our, our small group on Wednesday, would you prefer to be a hum, human who can choose to love God or reject him, consequences and all, or a loveless robot? And why? And you know what they said over and over and over again? I'd rather be that human. Because a robot can't have a relationship, and we long for a relationship. And I heard that answer, and what struck me is, why, why do we long for a relationship? It's because we're created in the image of God, the triune God who has been in relationship for eternity. We're created in the image of a relational God. And so he wanted a universe where there could be relationship between his creatures and himself. And that involves choice and all of its consequences. You look around at the world and you see the natural disasters. It's because Adam and Eve and our race by default from them, we were stewards. We're stewards of this planet. And we sinned. And in, in modern vernacular, we jacked this place up. Romans 8.22 uses the word groaning. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Creation groans because of mankind's failure as stewards. There's hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, viruses that, that spread and kill. It groans. Second, you could look at human actions to others on a daily basis. Paul Little said it this way, the actions of every individual affect others. No one is an island. To have it otherwise would be like playing a game of chess and changing the rules after every move. Life would be meaningless. He, he mentioned some examples. The, the robber who shoots someone, as a consequence that person dies or the person who gets drunk and gets behind the wheel of a car and, and kills a family of six. That's a consequence of a human action. Even larger scale, crooked decisions of a corrupt government that affect its people and, and maybe even the world at large. All of our human choices have consequences. The third part of this I want to discuss, maybe the heaviest, is, is hell. God has done everything needed for us to be forgiven. He sent his son to die in our place, and he rose again in our place. If we would turn to him in repentance and faith, we will be saved. But if we refuse God's gift of salvation, he will honor that choice and give us that eternity in hell. The way Paul Little explained it, he said, for a person that doesn't want to be with God, even heaven would be hell. So he's going to honor that choice. How do you feel about the weight of human choice and its impact in the world God has made? It's sobering. But I thought 
about that question on Wednesday, and I threw it out there, and Pastor Aaron had a good counterbalance. He said, think about the power of that choice. It, it also brings with it the great potential for good. Because of the nature of this message, we're looking at the other side, but he reminded us, look, if we choose Christ and opt to walk in his ways, we find life. I, I think of the words of Moses in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, talking to the people of Israel. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. And I would say that urgently to everyone listening today. Choose life. Because our choices have consequences. Second, don't forget Satan. I think much of the blame that we throw God's ways is for things that have Satan's fingerprints all over them. And it probably makes them smile when we do that. John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. If you doubt that Satan enjoys ruining God's creation and causing misery and suffering in people, go read the book of Job one more time. Do not forget Satan in this equation. Third, this beautiful and broken world can actually be used as a hint that God is good and there is something more. I'm going to say that again because it's kind of a wild idea. This beautiful and broken world can be a hint that God is good and there's something more. Let's start with what the Bible declares, how the Bible explains what we see out there. It declares that a good God created a good world, right, that we're created in His image, but that we sinned marring that image, and when we sinned, it brought sin and suffering and death into this world. So if you're talking to someone and they don't believe that, a good question to ask is, how else would you explain what you see in the world? Because, look, if we're just evolved evolution, uh, a system which includes the idea of survival of the fittest, where in the world does all the generosity and selfless sacrifice for others that we see in the world come from? Where do all the health workers that daily put their lives on the line to help others fit into that? Or the first responders? Or the soldier who willingly takes a bullet for one of his buddies in a war? Where's that come from if we're just evolved and survival of the fittest is everything? On the other side, you say, if, if there's no such thing as human sin, how do you explain Hitler or 9-11? If you don't believe the Bible's account of it, how do you explain it? That's a fair question to ask. But even the very act of labeling good and evil, right? You look at something like the Holocaust and say, that's evil. You ask the question, why is it evil? How do you know it's evil? Biblical answer we know is we have the law of God written on our hearts. It's put into human beings, our righteous creator. Now, the skeptic may speak of something more vague like the collective conscience of humanity, but even with that, you could say, but where did that come from? Why is that even such a thing to talk about? Last but not least, when we walk through this broken world, it, when we go through pain, it creates a longing for a, a better world, does it not? 
I felt this this week, even in our backyard on Thursday, as, as we had a, a memorial service for one of our pets, as I looked around at the tears on every one of my family's face, and I have my own, man, I long for that day where there will be no more suffering and tears and death. And you know what C.S. Lewis said about that? He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Amen. Number four. It's going to deal with a question that we often bring up when we suffer. It, the question is, what, do I, what did I do to deserve this specific suffering? Right? Isn't that the first place we go often? And that leads to point number four. Sometimes my suffering is a direct result of a specific sin in my life, but often it is not. Often it's not. We see this in the book of John. Jesus and his disciples are walking by a man blind from birth, and the first thing they want to know is why. Who, who did something for him that deserved this? John chapter 9, verse 1, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? How would Jesus answer that? Verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Sometimes it's something altogether different that we ha are not privy to. That's important to remember. Even Luke 13, verse 1, says, There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. What does that mean? There were people coming to make their sacrifices in Jerusalem, and Pilate slaughtered some of them. There was death. And Jesus said to the people that brought this up, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Because isn't that where we sometimes jump when we see a group suffering? We, we want to think, oh, that's because of this sin or that sin. And, and we'll admit in a moment, sometimes there are consequences to specific sin, but sometimes there's not. Well, how did Jesus answer that? Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners? Verse 3, no. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What's he saying? He's saying that all suffering in this world, while it may not be the result of a direct heinous sin, it's a reminder that life is short for all of us. And the time is coming for all of us. And we need to repent and turn to Jesus. That's why C.S. Lewis called pain God's megaphone. The wake-up call to repent and, and turn to Him. You can probably think of times in your life that you, you've suffered and, and you couldn't tie it back to any direct sin. It happens to all of us. Old Testament, I think of Job. Contrary to what his friends thought, it was not because of a specific sin in his life. New Testament, we already heard about the blind man. But listen, you cannot read your Bible and not admit that sometimes... Suffering and death in this world is God's judgment or a consequence of sin. Trace it through the Old Testament. You go to the flood. Trace it in the wilderness. You see times when God's people were disciplined and suffering and death came because they rebelled against him. Take it to the captivities in Babylon and the spreading to Assyria because God's people refused to obey. You say, that's Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament, Acts chapter 5. Read a story about a couple in the church named Ananias and Sapphira who died 
because they lied. Sometimes suffering is a result of sin in our lives. Galatians 6, 7, a man reaps what he sows. And sometimes as God's children, whom he loves dearly, it is his loving discipline in our lives. Listen to Hebrews 12, verse 7, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Wednesday night, I asked our group online, I said, can you think of any moments in your life where, where suffering in your life was a direct result or consequence of sin, maybe God's discipline in your life? And two or three people spoke up about very specific moments in their lives. And they shared what God had taught them and how they grew through it. And I looked at them, I said, man, if we know anything about fathers, like most of us hate disciplining our children, but we do it because we want them to learn something and grow. And as they shared the very specific sins that it was for and the specific lessons that they learned and how they grew, I said, man, can't you see him smiling that you learned that lesson and you're growing? That's how you can tell the difference. Sometimes we go through suffering and we feel kind of this vague condemnation and we don't know if it's discipline or not. Most of the time, I believe you can chalk that up to Satan. He would love you to just feel condemned and beat down. When God disciplines us, he is very specific through his spirit and his word and letting us know what it's for and what we need to do to turn around. So, so if you're suffering and you're wondering, just ask him, God, show me any wicked way in me. Are you trying to work on something in my life? Maybe he is, maybe he won't, but he will reveal it. And here's maybe an even as important thing. If it's in the life of someone else, do not be quick to jump to conclusions. Okay, let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. That seat's already taken. All right? When they're suffering, we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit do his work in determining the wise in their heart. Number five, we talked about this a little bit on Easter Sunday. God's timing is perfect. Sometimes we look around and like you too, and there's Song 40, which was borrowed from the Psalms, by the way. How long? How long are you going to let this go on? Paul Little asks a penetrating question regarding this. He says, suppose God were to decree that tonight all evil would be removed from the universe... Who of us would still be here after midnight? That cuts right to it. What he's bringing out is that thankfully God's goodness is not only his justice, it's also his mercy. Right? Lamentations 3.22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. 2 Peter 3.9, regarding the second coming, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
Number six, we got two more. This is the, the core of it all. Looking at Jesus, the suffering God who walks with us and will make it all right. I asked the group on Wednesday, I said, how does Jesus convince you of God's love even in the face of suffering? The answers were, were telling. Somebody said, he is with me when I go through it. Somebody said, he went through it himself. That meant so much to those people, and they're right. I want to look at a couple of these realities. Number one, he became our curse and suffered and died for us. One of the most humbling verses in the whole Bible, I think, is Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. He was a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Second, he understands. Hebrews 2.18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. As we sat at that memorial service for our pet this week, one of the things that came to my heart was the story of Lazarus, that not only did Jesus have the, the power to make it all right at the end, but in the middle of it, he wept with those people. He shared their tears. He shared their pain. I love that about our God. The Psalms say he's close to the brokenhearted, and he hears their cry. That's the Savior for me. But thirdly, he didn't just suffer and die and understand. He, he rose from the dead. He overcame. He ascended to heaven and promised his followers would one day join him, giving us hope that this world is not all there is, that the best is yet to come for those who come to him in faith, and judgment will come for all the unrepentant evil in this world. He will make it all right. Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Do you hear it? The best is yet to come. Revelation 21.4, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And as we talked about this reality of Christ, we, we threw out the question, if Christ were standing here physically, what would you ask him or tell him about your suffering or the suffering of the world? And after a couple people weighed in, we talked about the reality that he may not be here physically, but he is here. Talk to him. Talk to him. He's, he's with us in the middle of it. Finally, finally, God works in the suffering of his children for our good. Jesus promised suffering in this world. John 16, 33, right before he went to the cross. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Samuel Rutherford said it this way, God has called you to Christ's side, and the wind is in Christ's face in this land. We are walking against the wind with Christ upstream in this world. When we suffer, it does a couple things. It, it shows us what's inside. Philip Yancey once wrote about a, a young couple that, that were looking forward to, 
to old age together and all the normal things that come with a, a healthy life. But it wasn't long before the wife got a fatal form of cancer. And, and he talked to this couple about their journey through that and all the hurt and the questions that came up. And the husband said something interesting. I want to paraphrase. He said, it's not like all those romantic movies you see on TV where you have a couple that's, that's far apart for five, ten years, and then a tragedy happens, and all of a sudden they come real close together. He said, in real life, what happens is when a trial comes, it shows what was already there. And that's true. Uh, who we are on the inside comes to the surface during a trial. But thank God in His grace, it doesn't have to stay there because if we allow it to, it can also grow us. It can also grow us. The, the word we have, tribulation, I learned something about it. It comes from the Latin, tribulum. You know what a tribulum was? It was a heavy piece of wood with spikes on it that was dragged over grain to separate the wheat from the chaff. Tribulation, that's what it does in our lives, right? If, if we depend on God and believe Him through it and obey Him through it, what's it do? It, it separates the chaff, that worthless stuff, away and, and brings out the wheat, the, the good stuff in our lives if we cooperate with Him. I want to talk for a minute about how important our reaction to suffering is in this because we have a huge part to play. We started with the power of human choice. It, it plays here too when we suffer because as has been said, the same sun melts the butter and hardens the clay. You can probably think of people in your life that have a soft and gentle spirit after the suffering they've gone through. They're like the butter that's been melted. You can probably think of other people who have become hardened and bitter. The difference is not that one suffered and one did not. It's, it's that reaction to the suffering. You can see it in the Holocaust. Many people look at the Holocaust and turn their back on God and said, I will not believe in an all-powerful loving God with that happening in the world. But others pressed into him. One, one striking example is Corey Tenboom. You've probably heard of her. Her family sheltered Jews during the war, and she herself ended up in one of the concentration camps. Did she turn on God? Quite the opposite. She pressed into God and went around the world spreading the goodness and love of God. You can read about her in her book called The Hiding Place. The difference was their reactions, right? How do we react when suffering comes? God wants to use it to, to grow us. Romans 5, 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. You say, come on, Paul, why would you say something crazy like that? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, I want to break those down. Perseverance, that is how we cooperate. That's the first step. What does that look like? We keep on believing God, even when it hurts. We keep on obeying God, even when it hurts. We keep on carrying out the mission he's given us, even when it hurts. Because if we bail out at any point, we short-circuit this whole growth process. Think about Paul. This is not just some random guy writing about suffering. You read his list of whippings and beatings and shipwrecks. How far do you think he would have gotten if every time he began to suffer, he started to doubt if God loved him or not? 
he would have bailed long before all the places and all the things he wrote. It was perseverance. He was convinced that God loved him, even in the middle of the suffering. So he kept in there. That leads to character. I think of character, I think of getting stronger and stronger, more consistent. Someone you can trust, even when the going gets tough. I think of the, the men in the fire with Nebuchadnezzar. God could save us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow. That is character. And as that character grows, you get something he calls hope. And I think hope looks two ways. It looks forward to that reality that the best is yet to come. So I'm going to keep on trekking on. But I think it can also look back at previous trials that God has gotten us through. The older I get, I can look back at more and more moments that were hard. God got me through that one. He's going to get me through this one. And you probably know that too. Perseverance, character, hope. I think about this hope one. And people around us might not always understand why we keep on holding on to God. Right? I, I think of a time when I, I talk with an older pastor about some of the challenges and discouragements that come with church planting, the, the ups and downs. And, and he said to me, tongue-in-cheek, he said, Scott, sometimes you've got to just be too dumb to quit. And I laughed because I knew what I meant, he meant. He, he was joking, but that's how it might look to the world sometimes. When, when you trust Christ, even in the midst of all the craziness, and keep going forward, sometimes it looks like you're too dumb to quit. But deep down inside, we know it's because we've got a faithful God who's with us, and we're going to walk with him no matter what it means. I think about life, and I think often it is a fight. How many of you know that firsthand? It's like we're in a, a boxing ring, and we're tired, and, and it's many rounds in, and Satan, the, the accuser of our souls, or his demons, are, are speaking things into our minds and our hearts like, God doesn't love you if he allowed that in your life. So throw in the towel. Give up on him. How could he possibly love you when you're going through that? And yet God's in our corner, literally inside us, and the Holy Spirit saying, I am with you. I am for you. I am not against you. I know this world is fallen and it hurts, but keep fighting the good fight. The best is yet to come. And, and we look back in the corner and we say, I can't. I'm tired. And he says, I know you can't on your own. I know it. That's why I led Paul to write down these words for you. Soak them in and listen to some of the things Paul wrote. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's also the one that said, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. God is in the corner of his children saying, keep on fighting in my power. I want to ask you a question. What is more important when you suffer? That you know why you're suffering? Or that you know what you believe about God? We may not always understand the why. One thing that strikes me about the book of Job, even at the end when God showed up, do you ever notice he doesn't explain to Job why it all happened? 
He doesn't say, Job, there's this meeting between Satan and I. And He doesn't. All he does is vividly and repeatedly shows Job that God is in control and should be trusted. And that was enough for Job. It's more important that we know what we believe about God than the why. And there's one promise we have written down that Job did not. Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. But how many of you know sometimes those words ring hollow when we're in the middle of our pain and someone says them? Why do they sometimes feel so distant and, and not real? I asked that to our group, and, and they said it's because of what we feel when we're suffering. Our feelings are so powerful and overwhelming, it hurts that, that sometimes it's hard to grab onto that promise in faith. And that reminded me of something that's so important someone said to me one time. Never forget in the dark what you believed in the light. You've got to determine right now before the suffering hits what you believe about God so that when it hits... You cling to that. And just like Peter, you say to people, where else am I going to go? You get in the middle of that and the stars are spinning around. Think about sailors on the ocean and they're getting lost until what? They look at that north star and they know where they're at. The, the cross is the north star. You're in the middle of a trial. You wonder if God loves you. Look back to the cross. And all of a sudden his love becomes clear again bottom line is paul little says we got to trust god just like the child whose whose parent takes them to the doctor or the dentist for their own good he's with us one of the ultimate examples of this i think of and you probably heard of her too is johnny erickson tata she's a teenager she's like many other teenagers loved getting outside swimming running, riding her horse, but at 17, she dove into shallow water and broke her neck and ended up paralyzed most of her body. She wrote a biography called Johnny, an unforgettable story about the journey from anger and frustration and bitterness and all she went through to the place where she finally found hope and purpose and comfort in God. And now he's using her to encourage others around the world. Listen to what she said about suffering. She said, most people wish they could erase suffering out of the dictionary. Today's culture of comfort and instant gratification has no patience for suffering. Most people want to drug it, escape it, divorce it, do anything but live with it. But she started to see God working in her. She said things like suffering provides the gym equipment on which my faith can be exercised. She said, he has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace. I think about her story, and I want to ask you the question. Have you had suffering in your life that pushed you further away from God? Or have you ever had one of those moments where your suffering drew you closer, like she talked about? But here's something else I really love. It's, he's not just growing us for our own good. If we grow in that process, it can actually become a blessing for other people. Second Corinthians 1, 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, 
who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. How many of you know when you're walking through something, it's nobody can comfort you like the one who's walked that road before you and truly understands? We appreciate that when other people do it for us. Now look inside and say, wow, maybe what I'm going through can be used in the life of someone else. Johnny said it this way, God points to the peaceful attitude of suffering people to teach others about himself. And I think about how frustrating that must be to Satan because his designs are to get you to give up. But here you are helping someone else press closer into their relationship with God because God has comforted you and now you're comforting them. And I think about his frustration. And I think about lyrics in a song I heard this week. The, the darkness should have killed you when it had the chance. Because God is using you for his kingdom. And I love that. So as we close, I want to review these seven realities and then close with a challenge. Number one, the high price of human choice. Don't forget Satan. Remember this beautiful and broken world can actually be a hint that points to a good God and that there's something more. Four, sometimes my suffering is a direct result of sin in my life. Often it's not. Five, remember his timing is perfect. Six, remember Jesus. And this is the core, right? The suffering God who walks with us and will make it all right. And seven, God works in our suffering for our good. Now, I want to ask you, do you believe it? Because we can talk facts all day long. But at the end of the day, for this to take root in our lives, it requires faith. And I'm talking about the kind of faith that, that sees the giants in the land. But unlike the ten spies, we want to be like Joshua and Caleb. We also see the God who is greater. I love what Louis Giglio said about worship. He said this, he said, worship is a declaration of war against everything that says God can't. I love that. And I want to close with some scripture that reminds us of who this God is. Isaiah 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When we believe things like that, that's when we can say with Habakkuk in chapter 3, verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you so much 
man, there's so many books and shows and things that skirt around the heavy issues in life. You do not. You get right into it and you wrestle with them and you show us truth to hold on to in the middle of them. You don't deny the pain and the suffering. You show us the way through it and to you. And you entered into it as a savior to reconcile us to yourself. I pray that anyone who's been walking tribulation alone would turn in faith and repentance to that Savior today. And those of us who know you, use us, please. Help us to grow in our own trials that we might be a blessing to others for you. In Jesus' name, amen.